Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as every week, we have our two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. So, guys, another week, cold or hot? Where are you guys in this week? Um, it's been mid 40s, although I think yesterday it was like 65. It was great. It was really nice. How do you go from 40 to 65? Do you have a heater or something that you turn on or something? That's that's nothing. My state went from like 98, 99 degrees to snowing and 22 to 85. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My, the weather in my state personifies 2020. <laughs> We've uh, had some serious wind problems here. Uh, yesterday, I broke two umbrellas taking the dog for a walk. Completely blew out. Really annoying. Uh, Was it and raining as well? Part raining, yeah. Well, okay. enough that I had an umbrella. Okay. Uh, and then the wind tore down. It must have been a 40-foot tree, like a big, big Christmas tree, uh, and took down both the cable lines and the electricity, and we were down for 12-ish hours. Wow. Yeah, good so times. So when your children have neither neither video games nor internet, yeah. how do they like? What is the tone at your house like? They weren't a fan. However, we are stockpiled with board games, and it was just board game after board game after just probably two dozen board games I went through. Nice, nice, yeah. Some, some were shrink wrap still, like they had to. Literally the first time ever used. Oh yeah, I have a bunch of board games like that where, and, and some of them aren't shrink wrapped. They've been unwrapped, the box opened, the instructions taken out, all the pieces spread out. Third page of the third page of an 800 page instruction manual. The book, the instruction manual got closed. All the pieces got put back in the box. And I got back box right. back up. I shouldn't require a diploma to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> there shouldn't be 101, 201, and 301 courses. <laughs> Yeah, I want to play a board game in, I want to start playing a board game in no longer than 10 minutes set up and in reading instructions included. I should <laughs> ideally be able to read the instructions as we start to play and not have it terribly adversely affect pace of play. Right. I don't care if it takes a long time to master, I just want to start playing right away. That's why it's right. a board game. I'm not looking to be a champion, I'm just looking to play a game. <laughs> right. not looking to play at the competitive level. <laughs> right. <laughs> That is very interesting because there are people that love to have those long instructions. There are people that just love to just start playing. Just like there's probably different type of leaders. There's probably two or three type of different type of leaders. So let's talk about that. Which one are you? All right. So my favorite part of every single one of these now is how Carlos is going to connect our kind of opening rant with the actual podcast topic. So, so I like it. So, um, so yeah, so let's talk about that. There are, I contend that there are effectively three types of leaders for the three phases of companies. Now it doesn't mean you're only one or the other, right? You could be some percentage of each one. And there's, there's, there's likely a spot in the Venn diagram that you fit. Right? Maybe you're only, maybe you are in fact one, maybe you're two, maybe you're all three. Um, I, I would say the complexity of being, being all three has me doubting anyone's serious commitment to that. But the three as I see it are 
the, um, the running leader. So this is a leader that can come in reg almost regardless of team size and continue to run the business expertly um, regardless of, of team size, right? And, and maybe grow it, but they're not, going to, um, they're not going to change from startup to enterprise, right? Um, and that requires, I would say, a very specific set of skills Right? The ability to run a team of 800 people, as an example, requires a very specific set of skills. The change rate is going to be relatively low, but the, the tactical requirements are incredibly high. Right? And the change rate is all going to be people-based rather than necessarily process-based or, or kind of tool set revenue-based. Would you agree with that as a statement, Paul? Yep, 100%. Right? Yep. It's, it's mostly about you know, finding efficiencies in many ways. But it's very much a logistical operation at that point. Right. Right. How do I handle, if I've got 5% turnover, right? How do I handle losing 40 people a year? Right. Right. How do I handle creating a pipeline so that the replacement for those is the least disruptive possible? Mm -hmm. If I've got 10,000 people that work for me, how do I handle the fact that in, at any given, at any given time, 2% of them are always on vacation? Right. So how do I handle the logistics of that to ensure that my KPIs aren't affected regardless of how good the particular individual is that's on vacation? Right. Yep. Right. And open, open headcount, right? You, the, you right. have more open headcount than most of the rest of the organization. And then just the hiring process is, is a pretty significant portion of your time. Right. How do I balance the, the hiring process between ensuring that I'm hiring the quality people while at the same at the same um, ensuring that the pace is fast enough that I'm, I'm both not losing candidates and I'm also not kind of being overrun by loss rather than, you know, that I'm keeping pace with my, with my loss rate. Right. Um, so, and, and so that's the first type of leader. Um, the downsides I would say are, um, that's not a leader that's going to build a department that's going to start from scratch. That's going to create all of your policies from scratch, all of your procedures from scratch, your budget from scratch, all that sort of stuff. Right. right. Um, that's a leader that's really going to be focused on logistics, going to really be focused on efficiency, right? Take something that's running and really hone it into the best version of itself. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal leader for that position. Um, the second leader I would say is your startup leader, right? Okay. And your startup leader is really, um, your player coach. And, and I find this is an area where there's an awful lot of mistakes made. And it doesn't matter. It could be a it could be a player coach in an actual startup, or you're going to start a new um, department and you need someone to run that department. Data analytics comes to mind because not only were we just talking about it, but it's also incredibly popular right now to start a data analytics team. And the biggest issue that I see is um, we want a we want an individual contributor as the leader. Right. Okay, but. What about that individual contributor matches your projected growth for the department and their ability to manage it, right? Um, when right. So, so in that circumstance, um, are you looking to be, or should that leader be a subject matter expert? Should they be a, um, uh, an expert in creating something from scratch, sort of the pioneering type of you know, mentality? Uh, should they uh, be more strategic thinking rather than tactical? Uh, so what I would look for um, is I would look definitely for a pioneer. 
probably not a practice leader anymore unless my goal was five years, three or four team members total, mm. right? Um, if my goal is to keep a very small team for the foreseeable future, then I want a player coach. I want a I want someone that's that's a that's technically capable of being a high performing individual contributor, right? That has natural leadership capabilities, because the max they're going to manage is four or five people, and they don't have to worry about the logistics issues of the management tasks. They don't they don't have to worry about three levels of inspiration, three levels of leadership, because it's SVP, VP, director, manager, right? right. Individual sure. contributor. Sure. Um, I, I don't know how many companies are going to be wise to go. Yeah, we've we've only got enough projects for this brand new team for you know four people for the foreseeable future. So far more likely, you're going to want someone that is both a pioneer, right? That can that can really help kind of forge the way. That can help build the processes and procedures. That can recognize that has enough of an individual contributor understanding to be able to hire really good individual contributors. That can mm -hmm. hire. That understands that when you're first starting, you you hire two or three really critical, extremely high performers, and then effectively get out of their way. Right. And at the same time, must have really good vendor management skills. Right. Because when you're first starting, especially when you're not when when the goal is that kind of early stage growth, the you're going to have to backfill with partners. You're going to have to use an ecosystem, not just in-house talent. To be able to to really you know to get the job done and then the goal there becomes how do i get as much of an ecosystem created as fast as possible and as we build we take over more and more and more of the work from that ecosystem and you're likely going to pick sides at that point too right you're not going to say you know i need the best of everything and i need to spread my wealth with the platform you're, you're going to align with partners right you're going to say in order for me to get off the ground and create x amount of insights i'm going to go to market with somebody and then just ensure that I'm architecturally able to replace when I need to. Right. And the smart thing there is just exactly what you said, right? The individual contributors that I'm hiring, I'm not likely hiring people that can do data transformation. I'm outsourcing that. What I'm actually hiring is a data art data architect. Right. Right. I'm handling, I, I'm hiring people that can really get a handle on the, the practices and procedures of our overall data design within the organization. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the third type is growth, right? Growth. It is a very distinctly different set of skills to go from MVP startup creation to productized scaled rollout and requires a very specific set of skills because now not only are you having to look at um, how do I, how do I handle large scale procedures and policies, but what does training look like? How do I how do I go from five people to a hundred people in departments that don't even exist, like customer service, installation, support, maybe sales training, mm -hmm. right? How do I scale all of that, and how do I build it in such a way that that first person that we talked about can come in and continue to run it, right? Because right. the chances are you might be able to find someone that can both be a startup and a growth leader. But the chances are very, very slim that you're going to find someone that's a startup and a continuing to run. Right. Right. Well, there's the, the skill side of the coin and then the uh, whether they actually want to do that, right? The interest right. side of that coin. <laughs> you might the not find people. The interest side tends to be very, very different. Right. How about a fourth category? And now that you've described the three, 
you might call it growth, but I might call it change, right? Whereas it's not necessarily, let's say from a startup to an enterprise, it might be somebody that focuses on a specific transformation. I want to introduce a new or different product, or I'm trying to downscale the team because of their, their challenge, right? Their, uh, there's some financial impact or they're acquiring or divesting of a business like those major change pieces versus, you know, solely exclusively for growth. Is that so, a so I think you, uh, no, I think, I think what it actually is, is I think it's, I think it's a leader that sits in bucket one and three or a leader that sits in bucket one and two, or, sorry, two and three. Right. And so like, if we look at, if we look at um, downsizing or outsourcing, right, extreme um, focused cost cutting, efficiency. Right. Um, then what we're really looking for is that growth leader, right? The one that can really take you from, from where you're at to a very rapid, very structured stage and the sustaining leader that really focuses on efficiency, right? The first one we talked about. Right. So I don't, I don't know that it's a distinctly different. I think it's that where, where we start to get into that Venn diagram, I, I think we start looking at those as kind of where your personality, you know, where your leader sits for those. And then the other way around, right, where you're looking at um, maybe merger and acquisition right. or, um, you know, we're looking to to uh, bring on, on new new product lines. I think you're looking at a mix of startup mentality and enterprise level growth, right? right. Startup to enterprise growth. Or am I by divesting? Like, let's say I'm currently a product support professional services company and the entire professional services arm is actually being sold off to a GSI. So I am now going from those three parts to just a product and services company. Right. That might be a different person. That might be one and two actually. Yeah. Right. Cause now, now I have to take my look at efficiency, which drives oftentimes drives the decision. And how do I keep the current organism organization running um, efficiently? And then at the same time, how do I spin out this, this unit that is currently sheltered under the corporation into its own business unit? Into a, into maybe a separate subsidiary, mm -hmm. right? And so, I, at that point, not only do I need to understand how the business must continue to run, and what efficiencies need to be gained there, but I also need to understand what a startup looks like and what the pieces are to a startup that enables a business to function. Right. So, so which are you? One through uh, three, or all? No, I'm a, I'm two and three. Two and three. Yeah, I, I can like I've I've done the sustaining the sustaining bit. I mean, that's that's kind of where I made my you know, where I gained most of my early experience and kind of created the foundation. But the truth of the matter is, um, I, I don't find it overwhelmingly exciting to run what someone else built and what someone else started. Hmm. Um, I find I get, I, it's just, it doesn't lean towards my, um, it doesn't lean towards my, my specialty at all. The change rate's too slow, I get bored. So I've worked in startups before, but I wasn't in the leader in those startups. I probably don't have that skill set. I probably don't have a start from nothing and build from something type of skill set. I certainly have spent a good portion of my time leading large teams in some sort of operational efficiency way. Didn't, you know, enjoyed it at the time, probably don't enjoy it now. I probably spend most of my time and energy on the change or the growth side where it's either a gig centric tactical change. In other words, I'm trying to acquire something or, or, or sell something off, or I'm trying to introduce a whole new practice. Uh, and that's what we effectively just came from, right? We just created, you know, three 
wholesale practices from scratch um, through varying degrees of success. But, but I think that's what was most appealing in those roles was the creating from scratch and, and then evolving it to a point where somebody else would take it over at, the, you know, at some point in the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it, it's definitely the spot that I have the most fun. Right. I like taking um, a, a product that's to MVP stage and going into sale and really building that into kind of the enterprise scale level, right? Where, where you can start putting the pieces in place, the structures in place, the foundation in place right. to go from a eight person team to a 50 person team and a 50 person team to a 500 person team. So what do you have to know as that growth leader? Like what, what skill sets are unique to that persona? Uh, I would say a, a really strong understanding of how the company makes money mm -hmm. and how the company, I, I shouldn't say that. I should say how the company wants to make money because right. the chances are fairly good. However, they're making money now isn't correct. Right. Right? Or at least correct for the new model. Yeah. Uh, correct. I mean, um, it, yeah, it, it, you're being hired because there's some piece of it that's incorrect. Right. Even if it's just simply, it needs to be tuned and focused. Right, because in a startup, maybe we're the way we make we've made money up to this point is we take money from from any source that'll give it to us. Right, right. It it may also be we don't really understand the customer because we had this really good idea of built a really cool technology. We don't really understand the customer, and so how do we become laser focused on that customer? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is you really have to have an understanding of the value of policy without the creation of bureaucracy. Mm. Right, so, so policies allow us to look to something when we're scaling to answer questions. In a startup, everyone can ask everyone else the question and you spend very little time answering them because there's very few people, right? Eight people pretty much figure out how stuff works simply by being the only eight people. But when there are 80 people, a lack of policy creates a ton of questions that otherwise need to be answered. And so you have to have an understanding and appreciation for the things that enterprise creates and also be able to look out for the warning signs of the bureaucracy that naturally follows. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so I, I would say those are two very, very valuable features and functions. Um, and the they, third attract, one, they attract different, different employee segments, right? The, or the individual contributors that are attracted to a startup are different than the ones that have a sustained, you know, business model who is earning money that, you know, is going to get a predictable paycheck generally, and that yep. they have a well-defined role, right? You're hiring an application developer. They're probably, you probably don't expect them to also be the Unix administrator, right? You expect them to code, right? Versus in a startup, guess what? <laughs> you're, you're in charge of everything from the code to its production support. Right. To, the coffee, point, to the coffee maker when it breaks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, to me, a lot of the, I, I agree with you, the fundamental requirement skill set of that growth leader is an understanding of the business model. Uh, how they make money, how they should make money, how they spend money, how they should spend money, who the customers are, who the future customer segments might be, uh, what their assets are, what their assets should be, what their value proposition to the current market, what their new value proposition to the next market might be. And I agree with you, like how they make money um, is a pretty substantial um, impact, especially if it's changing from like software licenses to, to some sort of 
as a service or subscription-based service. Well, that's a dramatic change. Or if they're moving from a, you know, a seller of products to a marketplace where there's a two-sided network, right? When I have to deal with creating volume on both sides, well, that is a very different way of approaching sure. go to market. And I've got to think about that. Yep. If they've so been mostly B2B and they've, they've now decided that this new venture is going to be a B2C, right? right? The way you communicate, the way you talk, the way you interact, very, very different. And the other thing that I, that I, I probably should have mentioned is that growth person um, is going to have more influence on your culture than either of the other two ever will, mm. right? The startup, the startup leader um, is going to help define the early culture, right? But that early culture is either going to be nurtured and grown or pushed aside by the growth leader. By the time the, the first leader is in place, the sustaining leader, the goal is to continue to sustain and feed the culture that was created by the first two. Right. And, and so it's also really important to understand that when, when looking at that second leader, they really need to, their culture design needs to really feed into your ideal culture. And it's a good time as, as company leaders to really have a clear understanding of what your culture needs to be or what you'd like your culture to be, even if it's not that now, so that when you're interviewing, you can have those culture conversations and ensure that they understand what the purpose is. So the big question in this conversation is, when do you know you have to be someone different? When, when do you, what's the trigger point or what's the obvious signs to move from a growth to a, you know, keep the lights on from a transitionary type person to a sustainability type person or the reverse where I'm going from a startup and now I need to growth and now go to, to sustain or I'm in sustain, but I want to divert, divest half the business and now need to grow the other half. What's, what's the point? How do you know when you need another or a change in the existing leader? Um, risk, risk, and risk, I think, mm. right? When you're in startup, you're exceptionally risk adverse because you're just trying to get anything out there. Right. It's, it's famine. So then, then you get to the point where there's a little bit of a feast and now our risk really is not achieving the target set by our investors. So we move into phase two. The moment you get into the, our risk is not achieving the goal set by our investors, you're actually in phase two. Hmm. Assuming, that, assuming that's, that, that that risk or that goal is grabbing customers, right. right? Serving the needs of customers. If it's just building product, you can stay with, with phase one. And then when the risk changes again, right? and you're, you're now risk adverse of change itself, then you move to the sustaining leader every time, right? right? Because frankly, the growth leader is going to take a ton of risk in achieving that growth. So if you're the senior leader, so you're say that you're the CEO of this business, you definitely need a mix of those leaders, right? There are different oh, sure. parts of your business require different types of leadership. And at different phases, right? Yeah. Um, you're probably going to have uh, do growth early in the in the relatively early in the phase, but then your sales leader will come in as the startup leader, right? Right. And and maybe your marketing comes on as the third phase, right? Right. So you've got sales in place now. Marketing comes on, right? And they may go both directions. Right. You may even you may continue the technology growth, have an idea for a complementary product. Right. And so maybe even be moving almost into kind of phase three on your technology portfolio while at the same time spinning out that new product under a phase one. Right. 
right? Is there, and of course, professional services and customer support probably is a sustaining businesses, right? They, they are probably what the ones where you need a, a grizzled veteran leader who knows how to find efficiencies in those kind of worlds. But they right? still have to be set up. And yeah. so I would say you're the day you start those, you start those with a growth leader. You don't start those with a startup leader. Right. Right. Yeah, without a doubt. And then, and the growth leader probably doesn't last long on, on either of those before you move into sustaining. Right. Because they're well known, they're generally predictable. Right. Are they outsourceable? In other words, can you, can you outsource sustaining leadership holistically? No, I don't think you can. I would argue you could outsource growth leadership. You could outsource. Interesting. Right? There's, there's generally a clock on hardcore growth leadership. Um, and, you know, especially when we look at, at startup moving, you know, at startups in a growth phase, I would say outsourcing um, the like CTO role is probably a wise thing to do um, because you don't want to displace your technology startup founder, right? But you want to be able to give the business the tools that it needs and then move that startup founder into sustaining with other sustaining leaders under that. Right. Assuming that founder has that skill set, of course. And the desire. Right. Sure. <laughs> but you don't think, think things like customer support could be could start from scratch as a sustaining entity that you've outsourced? Um, so the problem, I, I, no, I, I don't think so. Now I think, I don't, I think it's totally possible to find a leader that can do both roles. Right. Right. But it really comes down to um, a, a, a focus on culture, what the culture needs. And then the ability to start from zero is a unique skill. Um, right. And it's, and, and I've seen a lot of times where, um, where someone's been brought in that has, the you know an infinite number of enterprise experience or infinite amount of enterprise experience but doesn't know how to start from zero right right and so they expect that these policies and procedures these techniques and all this you know the the the, the full employment manual has been written the kpis have been defined all that stuff exists and they're stepping into something and simply adding humans when in fact they're stepping into a, a blank chalkboard and going build your business plan Right. And that's a complex thing to do if you've not built a business plan before. It's complex to define KPIs if you've never defined KPIs before. So let's take that example now that we're sort of rounding the end here. Um, let's say I want to build a data and analytics practice from scratch. I currently do not have that skill set. I don't have a people skill set. I don't have leadership skill set. I don't have practitioner skill set, but I have a desire to create that service, create that offering, to create that insight, where what's my first hire and what does that first hire do? Um, so, so you defined three different things that you don't have. <laughs> right. Right. I don't have the practitioner skill set. I don't have the leadership skill set. I don't have the creator skill set. Is that right? Accurate? Correct. Yep. Okay. So, why do you want the job? That would be my first question. And, and the answer to that is probably going to land on one of those three things, mm. right? Um, I'm a leader, I'm a creator, or I'm a practitioner. Yeah, I mean the business. I meant the business. So the business oh, doesn't oh, oh, have, oh. yeah, the business doesn't have those capabilities. However, they know that this is a capability they want to create. So, so specifically with data analytics, you need to hire a leader that has the vision to understand how um, how you derive value from data. 
um, and one that can look at your business, even in the interview process, and give you some ideas on how to create that value right away. Right. Right. Um, and ideally, you want someone that has a network. Right. right? And you'll of, give them at least talent. three heads of yeah. talent. And you yeah. give them at least three heads. I don't think you can start a data analytics team with, with less than four people, right? The visionary leader, right? Right. The hardcore data scientist and a couple of data hackers that can really get started um, connecting to data sets that they have no real familiarity Some with. Sort of data engineer, data integration person. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause you have to start showing some value out of the gate, but I agree. I you, you need to hire. I'm not, I'm not going to say middle management just doesn't need to be senior management, right? It doesn't have to be an EVP. Uh, and they should be focused first, first 30 days on understanding the business and what they think is possible or more, most interesting to the external client set. Um, and then onboarding those three technologists so that you can actually start to produce value right out of the gate. Don't worry about the back office way of getting it done. Just worrying about actually producing those results. And then from those results comes process and policy and Everything else that you correct. Correct. Uh, I would also say ensure that they have a high enough title that people listen when they're in the room. True. Right. Yeah. Because the ask is going to be a workflow change. The ask is going to be a change in how the business has operated. And a director asking an EVP to do that isn't going to work. That is a fair statement. Yeah. Right. So so while they don't need to be an EVP, they probably at least need to be a VP. Right. They they can't be a keep the lights on operator, however. So right, they they cannot do that either. <laughs> That's right. So guys, so what do you think, Carlos? Any last week, you guys talk about how to get people from the inside. You can you should look at your people, work with them, and build them up. Today we're talking about these three different or or leader types. How does a company then get ready? to have people in these roles, because you mentioned that some of them, you want to bring them from the outside. And last week we talked that sometimes you bring people from the outside, but can any of these roles be groomed so they can be internal folks that understand your culture or they need to be external folks? I think it depends on what the goal of the company is, right? Mm -hmm. um, I would say um, a data, program is very hard to put a senior leader in place um, from inside the company. It's, it's going to be difficult. Um, on the other hand, I'm sure there's a thousand companies, I'm sure there's a thousand company people that will listen to this podcast if we had a thousand viewers um, that would say, no, 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 my company absolutely can do that. Like, right, that's how we did it. We created it organically. Mm -hmm. um, creating something organically like a whole new practice generally takes time. And sure, if you want to give yourself a year ramp or nine months ramp, you could absolutely do it internally and start identifying those leaders today. Um, I've also seen it where they do it internally with, with someone that doesn't have those kind of key focuses we talked about, that doesn't understand how to derive value from data, can't look at a data set or three data sets and go um, within the context of our business, this is how we would use these three data sets to provide value. This is the direction we should go, right? Um, and, and thus they made a mistake. They put someone in, in the position that has the management experience, but not the innovative expertise um, to really kind of drive the value. Um, so you really, you, you, you know, everyone comes from somewhere. So it is entirely possible that you have these people inside your organization. 
Um, but don't get so tied up with we need to promote from within that you sacrifice the, the very value you're trying to give. Um, at the same time, if you're looking at extremely rapid growth, like you want to take that, that four-person team we talked about and grow it to 40 within a year, you should be looking at at least 25 of those people coming from internal. And, and I would also say that's, prob that's likely the mandate that you want to give that leader. I want more than 50% of the growth to come from within the company before we recruit outside. I see it as a capability thing. So if if you have a desire to implement this capability for your organization and you're currently not doing it now, you probably don't have that capability inside your organization to do it. Therefore, you need to hire it internally, right? However, if you want to do more of the same, so if you want to introduce another product or another service or another offering that's like the offerings you have now, absolutely, you have talent inside your organization to spin off another leader in order to create that service or product or offering. Awesome. But the new capability, it would be there if you had that capability. That, that would be my point. And you may have in, in individual practitioners and you may have low level like team managers that you sure. could easily pull from inside. Um, it's entirely possible that you've got you know, six, six practitioners hiding in your ranks. I, I, I fully believe that. You, you don't have a data scientist hiding in your ranks. <laughs> right. right. Someone with a, with a PhD in data science, you don't have that hiding in your ranks. You're going to have to hire external. Right. right? Um, and the chances that you have the senior leader hiding in the ranks is incredibly slim. At the same time, if we talk about the divestiture, which we talked about, uh, I can almost guarantee you have that, you have a leader like that hiding in your ranks. Sure. Right? You're, you're going to need more than one leader to do that. You probably have more than one leader already. You may not have the, the number one leader that you need, but, but I'm sure you have most of the employees. You probably are sitting at 80% of the people you need for the divestiture. Yep, same with an acquisition. If you're going to acquire a company and you needed a, you know, an interim CIO, I bet you have a bunch of leaders under the CIO who could take on that role. Yeah, I don't know. So from those three, which one should a company focus? Let's say that they, they have to pick to start. Which one should they be looking at first? It, it needs to match your risk. It really needs to match your risk, right? Um, are you looking at an incredibly low risk operation? Um, even that includes some growth, then you're looking at, at the sustaining leader, right? Are you looking at, at high risk, grabbing a new market that, you have, that, that your company isn't in today? You're probably looking at your startup, your startup leader, right? Are you looking at, at rapid growth with, with a high tolerance for risk, reasonably high tolerance for risk? Then you're probably looking at the growth leader. Well, I agree with Tark. Well, I think that there you have it, my friends. Three type of leaders that can help your company to grow. This is one of our, those series that we have been building because it's time for you to probably Make a change, bring some additional leadership into different roles and probably look because like we just discussed, sometimes you may have some people inside, but sometimes you may already be looking <laughs> so you can bring them to be part of the family. My friends, it's awesome to have you here. Make sure that you subscribe, you share this with your team because remember, we want to grow as leaders, but we cannot do it alone. We have to include others so they grow with us. My friends, we'll see you on our next episode.